0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show Our first program tonight takes us back to 1948 For another episode of Philip Marlowe Creator Raymond Chandler offered up a very detailed description of his private eye. He had some experience as an investigator for an insurance company at the district attorney's office in Los Angeles County, but he was fired from the DA's office for insubordination, or as Marlowe put it, talking back. Marlowe's about six feet one and a half inches tall, and he weighs about 190 pounds, wears colorful clothes, and generally refuses to take divorce cases. He smokes, prefers camels, as a matter of fact. At home, he sometimes smokes a pipe. He's an adept chess player, almost exclusively plays against himself or plays games from books. He drinks whiskey or brandy frequently and in relatively large quantities. For example, in one story, he gets out a bottle of Four Roses, and at another time, he uses Old Forester, a Kentucky bourbon. Marlowe is also adept at using liquor to loosen people's tongues. (laughs) He frequently drinks coffee. Eschewing the use of filters, he uses a vacuum coffee maker. And he takes his coffee with cream in the mornings, but has it black at other times. Well, now you've got this word picture of Raymond Chandler's creation set in your mind. Let's hear the episode now on Philip Marlowe entitled, Where There's a Will, There's a Way.
2: When the will was read, everybody figured she'd been crazy when she wrote it. That included me. But I changed my mind after spending a night on an island with a pig, a cat, and an ape. Because in reality, they were people.
3: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents The Adventures of Philip Barlow. now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's unusual story, Where There's a Will.
4: I
2: had spent the whole day on a noisy job which had concerned itself with a lot of people who talked a lot and said nothing. When I finally locked up my office for the night, I was worn out. As I drove slowly along the street, I was glad to be heading for home and a little peace and quiet. At least, that's what I thought. But when I pulled up for a full stop sign only a half a block from my apartment, something happened which brought my little dream of peace and quiet to an end. A car door opposite me flew open and something mighty excited jumped in.
5: I'm being followed. Drive on, please.
2: The law?
6: No, please drive on.
2: Okay, lady, get a good grip on the upholstery there that ought to do it now what's the Say, you look a little pale and beautiful
6: i'm always pale when my heart's in my mouth
2: well then why don't you swallow once take a deep breath and tell me who was after you
6: there isn't much to tell It was a nasty little man that's all i know so, thanks for making like Barney Oldfield, and good night. Hey,
2: hey, not so fast. <laughs> it's impolite to hitch and run. Look,
6: mister, right now I'm up to my earrings in trouble, and that leaves very little time for small talk with strangers,
2: even nice ones. Well, in that case, the name is Philip Marlowe, which takes care of the stranger part, and I'm a private detective, which makes trouble my business. Where do we go from there? No
6: place. $300,000 worth of hidden bonds, a screwy old lady, and a sculptor with a red beard are too much for any one man police force, Mr. Marlowe. So, again, good night.
2: Before I could say anything, she was out and gone. There was only the heady scent of taboo in the air, and the memory of a gorgeous profile with jet black hair and pale blue eyes. And I sighed like a schoolboy and decided to put her under the heading of things that pass in the night. But I couldn't. Why out of all the cars in Los Angeles should she have picked on mine? Well, the next morning, as I was walking down the corridor to my office door, I was still seeing pale blue eyes. Maybe that's why I didn't notice the man who waited outside my door until I was almost on top of him. He was well-dressed and about 35. He looked like a man who had forgotten how to smile.
7: Marlowe. Right. I want to compliment you on your behavior last night, Mr. Marlowe. Barbara told me about it.
2: Oh? Come on in, Mr. uh...
7: Shields. Edward Shields. Would you be interested in aiding three people in a search for more than a quarter million dollars in negotiable bonds, 1% of which will be yours if the bonds are found? Uh, being a fairly fast man with figures,
2: yes, yes, I would. Splendid. I'd like a few details.
7: Well, Mr. Marlowe, my aunt, Bernice Mayhew Shaw, died, leaving her entire fortune to charity, with the exception of the bonds I mentioned. Those are to be divided equally among three of us, the sole heirs, if we find them within 24 hours.
2: Hmm, that sounds like something you dream about after a midnight snack of pizza and pig's knuckles. Perhaps. But
7: you didn't know my aunt. Beside myself, the beneficiaries are Barbara Haynes, the girl you met last night. She was and Bernice's personal secretary. And another nephew, Harlan Crane, who at the moment happens to be a sculptor. Happens to be? Six months ago, he was a sailor. Before that, a <laughs> writer. Without even a rejection slip to his name. My cousin is irresponsible, impetuous, and completely self interested The will itself, Mr. Shields, what are the exact conditions? At precisely noon today, the three of us are to meet with Luther Willard, my beloved aunt's lawyer, who will give us each a large sheet of tissue paper covered with specific markings. Individually, the sheets mean absolutely nothing. But combined, one over the other, the transparent sheets form a coherent map to the location of the bond.
2: But uh, why all the
7: intrigue? My... The departed aunt had a peculiar sense of humor. In addition to this, she was never particularly fond of any of us. She was sure that our individual shortcomings would make cooperation among us impossible, even for so short a period
2: as 24 hours. And the fact that a man followed Miss Haynes last night convinced you that there was something to that, huh? Convince me? No, he may have been nothing but a person, actually.
7: Nevertheless, I do feel that to play safe a fourth party, a custodian of the map, so to speak,
2: would be advisable. That's fine. When do I go to work, Mr. Shields?
7: At noon, at the lawyer's office. However, I regret that first you must be approved by the third heir. I don't like to ask us, Mr. Marlowe, but would you mind very much calling on my cousin, Harlan, personally? Not at all. As a matter of fact, I think he might prove very interesting. Yes. Yeah. I am sure he will. As interesting as an ape in the zoo. <laughs>
2: I felt like saying, look, Shields, I'm not as gullible as I look. But then I thought a client's a client, and I decided to play along. Harlan Crane, six-foot, red-bearded giant, talked as he worked, wielding a ten-pound sculptor's mallet, like it was an 18th-century quill. I'll
8: be frank with you, Marlowe. Money isn't everything to me, and never has been. Over a $100,000 will buy a lot of marble.
2: Half the state of Vermont, I'd say. But tell me the point, Mr. Crane, do I get your seal of approval?
8: Oh, I imagine you'll be all right. Anyone who can get by Shields, the all-American scrooge, ought to do.
2: Thanks, a million.
8: And not being personal where you're concerned, it's just a matter of facing a fact bluntly. Edward Shields is conniving,
2: avaricious,
8: and dull. I heartily recommend him to nobody.
2: And the girl, Barbara, you feel the same way about her?
8: No, I don't. The truth of the matter, Marlowe, is that I know very little about Barbara Haynes. But what I do know, I like
2: very much. Yeah, that I can understand.
8: Well, do you realize that once you have the whole map in your possession, you're worth an awful lot of money? Of
2: course I do. The whole map, I have a market value of exactly $300,000. <laughs> That's right, fellow.
8: $300,000, dead or
2: alive. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was small of me, but I didn't exactly see the joke. And things got less funny as time went on. Later, as me and my trio got off the elevator at the lawyer's office, old Luther Willard, Aunt Bernice's attorney, was waiting for us, so excited he could hardly talk.
9: I I've been held up. What? what? Uh, a little man. He wanted the maps. He a little man?
6: The... Dark complexion?
9: Yes, yes. Had a scar on the side of his neck.
2: Hey, yes. Are the
6: maps all right?
9: Hmm? The maps? Oh, Yes, yes, they're all right. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute,
2: everybody. Give them a chance. Mr. Willard, tell us exactly what happened. Uh, this is Mr. Marlowe. We told you about
7: him,
9: Mr. Willard. Uh, of course, yes, yes. Uh, can I come into my office. Sir? Uh, you see, I was putting some papers into my safe when this little man stepped up behind me and demanded the maps. Uh, were they in the safe? No, no, thank heavens. Uh, make yourselves comfortable. The please. maps, Mr. Willard. Where are they now? Well, Right here, where they were all the time. Here under the blotter on my desk. <laughs> Clever of me, wasn't it? <laughs> Wax seals. Still intact.
2: I'll take all three of them right now, Mr. Willard. That is, if there are no objections. <laughs> all right, then I guess we can be on our way. Hold on,
9: Mr. Marlowe. There are still two things you people must know. First, in the event the bonds are not recovered within the 24 hours, I am instructed to open another sealed envelope, which I am happy to report is kept in my bank vault. That envelope contains a complete and simplified map and is to be turned over to a designated charity. And second, if any of you die... Before the allotted time is up, the bonds are to be divided among the surviving persons. And if none of us survives, Mr. Willard? Why, in that case, the bonds again go to charity. You see, Harlan, your aunt was a very generous woman.
2: After arranging to meet with the three heirs at Shields' place later that afternoon, I headed for the nice and public public library where I figured I'd be able to examine the maps in safety. By placing the three maps exactly one over the other, I saw that the bonds were hidden on the larger of two squares of land called Twin Islands, which were the personal property of the late Bernice Mayhew Shaw, and located in Indian Lake in the San Bernardino Mountains. As I left the library with the three maps in my pocket, I I felt like a well-fed mallard on the opening day of hunting season. Then I knew I was being called. I slipped into a doorway and turned. I saw it was a nasty little man with a scar. All right, you. We're through playing tag.
4: Oh, let me go.
2: Not yet, Shorty. Not until you talk loud and clear.
4: No. No,
10: don't hit me, please. Please hit me down. I'll, uh, I'll tell you everything. All
2: right. If you're sure you can get it all straight the first time. There. Now the whole story, beginning, middle, and end.
10: Yeah. Yeah, like you say. Whole story.
11: Okay. Start.
2: time I figured out that it had been the sawed-off end of a broomstick that had slammed my stomach up against my backbone, the little man was out of sight. Then another five minutes went by before I quit calling myself sucker and I started to think straight. The nearest public locker was in the Santa Fe Trailways bus depot on Kawinga. I went up there and deposited two-thirds of the map for safekeeping until we were ready to leave for Indian Lake. And I found a telephone and a half a dozen calls later I knew that a caretaker named Jumbo was the sole inhabitant of Twin Islands. And my last call was to him. I wanted some kind of a welcoming committee ready for us. When I left the phone booth, it was only one o'clock. So I returned to my apartment where I figured I'd rest until three. And we were all to meet at Shields' place. But that was my second mistake. Because the moment I closed my apartment door, I was positive I wasn't going to get much rest. I had an unannounced visitor. Hey, yeah, you look surprised, Mr. Marlowe. I am. I didn't recognize you at first without your broomstick.
11: I traded that in on this twenty-two target pistol here. It's more expensive, but it's better.
2: It makes me as big as you are.
11: Maybe bigger.
2: Yeah. But how much does it do for your personality?
11: Quite a bit. It gives me poise. And poise gives me manner. So in asking for that nap in your pocket, I'll even say please. Come on, Milo. I won't say please twice.
2: No, I don't think you would. Here.
11: Thank you. Now, before I go, one more thing. The hall outside here is straight and narrow right to the stairs, and that makes it fine for shooting. So after I step out, don't do anything rash. For a while. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, loving life as I do, I didn't do anything rash for a while. In fact, I could have whipped up a nice seven-minute frosting before I moved at all. And I phoned the three heirs to get together at my apartment. When I finally had them all seated in front of me, I related the saga of the little man. Including my premonition that one of the three present was signing his paychecks. Of course, I got nothing but cupid doll innocence out of any of them. So after adding that we'd get underway just as soon as the missing one-third of the map was returned to me, I threw my trench coat over my arm and told them I was going for a walk. But before leaving them, I reminded them that whoever was behind the little man could fire him, because I would never have kept all three maps in one place anyway, unless all of the heirs were on hand to watch one another. Then I left. I hadn't walked more than a half a block up Franklin when I stopped at the sound of Barbara running after me.
6: Phil, I'm scared. Harlan and S.H.I.E.L.D. are acting like a couple of wild men, calling each other every name under the sun.
2: What'd you expect? Chit-chat about the weather? I quit acting like a Bobby Soxer within squealing distance of Sinatra and try a cigarette. It'll calm your...
6: What is it, Phil? Why are you smiling like that? What's wrong?
2: Nothing's wrong, Barbara. Nothing. <laughs> it's just that I found this in the pocket of my trench coat when I went for my cigarettes. It's the map. That's right. The missing third It's back already. When that missing third part of the map turned up so fast, I figured the heirs had decided to play ball. But I made a mental note to keep my eyes on them anyway. At 3 o'clock, I went to Edward Shields' hillside house in Laurel Canyon for a scheduled meeting. Shields wasn't home yet, but cousin Harlan was there admiring the view. Barbara showed up a few minutes later in a convertible and Shields arrived last by cab. It finally began to look as though we might actually start out all together.
7: Well, I see we all arrived safe and sound. Yeah, disappointed only by your clumsy attempts at humor, Holland.
6: Stop it, boys. Let's get started. Phil, have you looked at the map? Where are we going? To
2: Indian Lake. It's a four-hour drive, so if you're all ready, I suggest we get started. Very well. I'll go up to the garage and get the car.
6: So Aunt
8: Bernice hid the bonds in a roost at Twin Islands, eh? Well, well,
12: well.
2: Nobody seemed surprised at the location Aunt Bernice had chosen to hide her bonds. And Holland, Barbara and I stood on the front porch watching Shields as he climbed the very steep driveway to his garage in the car. But Barbara got more of my attention than Shields. Uh, she made a mighty dreamy picture. And she leaned casually back against the rail of the porch. She wasn't aware that I was watching her. Shh and I suddenly saw her go tense. Her eyes filled with fear, and I quickly turned to follow her stare. Shields' car was going at a rapid clip down the steep driveway. I still couldn't figure out Barbara's concern, and then she started screaming. The
8: car's out of control.
2: The car was headed for the edge of a cliff.
8: His brakes are out. You go over. The
6: tree. The tree stopped him.
7: Shields, are you hurt? No, no, I'm...
2: All right. The, the
8: brakes, I... I tried to stop him. He
6: them. hadn't hit that tree. Shields,
8: gone over the edge.
2: Let's have a look at those brakes, Shields. Well, no wonder.
6: What is
2: it? Brake lines broken. every drop of fluid drained out. I might have been killed. No might about it, Shields. We stood there for a while all looking at one another, but nothing was said. Brake lines rarely snap accidentally. I remembered that Harlan had been at Shields' house early, and the car had been in the garage, and Barbara... Well, I had to admit that she actually had anticipated the car going out of control... Well, the twenty-four hours for finding the bonds were slipping by, and I knew we had to get to Indian Lake. We held a short powwow without passing the peace pipe, and we decided to take Barbara's car. We picked up the rest of the map, which I checked at the bus station, and we shoved off. After a four-hour drive, that was about as relaxing as the thought of an overdue time bomb in a day nursery. We finally pulled up to the shores of Indian Lake. Jumbo, the caretaker, was waiting at the dock. He knew how to handle a boat, and a few minutes later we could see Twin Islands. We headed for the smaller of the two where I could make out a rambling lodge. The other island, a quarter of a mile away, seemed deserted. Shields was the first one ashore. Here, Barbara, let me help you.
8: Run along, boy. I'll help Barbara.
6: (laughs) Thanks, Harlan. Well, Marlo, what now?
2: Well, first we go up to the house. Oh, Jumbo, you got everything ready for us? Hey, Jumbo. Huh?
7: Oh, oh, sure, sure, everything's ready,
6: Mr.
2: Like you said, I opened four of the upstairs rooms. Open the rooms? We're not going to sleep out here, are we? I'm going to try.
6: But this isn't a vacation. We're here to find the bonds and get out. You realize it's almost nine already?
2: That leaves us just 15 hours, Marlowe. Yeah, I know. I got a good watch and I count to 24 and I'm also giving orders to you three. Don't Earthray.
8: get high-handed, Marlo You're an employee of ours and that's all. Let's get the map together and start looking for those bonds right now.
2: Take it easy, big man. The bonds are hidden on the other island. The map is as tangled as a second-hand spider web. You wouldn't get anything at all down in the dark. your sure. Look, I... you people hired me to help you find those bonds. If I have to get nasty to make you take orders, I can do that too. Let's play like we're smart and go up to the lodge and relax.
6: All right, Marlon. But remember, we'd better have those bonds by tomorrow, or someone else will be nasty. Very nasty. And I mean me. What? You too?
12: You <laughs>
2: Getting the three heirs settled down at dinner table was quite a chore. And when I was sure they'd keep an eye on each other, I slipped outside. I hid one third of the map in a drain pipe. Then I went upstairs to my room and I hid another third in the window shade. Now the maps were settled and I began to think about other things like... like the accident to Shield's car. There were too many accidents and coincidences to suit me. So I decided to drop in on Cousin Holland's room to see what I could see. After 15 fruitless minutes, I was about to leave when something in the wastebasket caught my eye. The corner of a half-hidden handkerchief monogrammed H.C. I had just picked it up when I saw Jumbo standing in the open door.
11: A the handkerchief there in your hand, that blood on it?
2: No. no. It looks more like brake fluid. And in this case, it's practically the same thing, huh? I think we'll leave it right here in the wastebasket, Jumbo. Oh, no, did you want something? Just wanted to say I'll be in my own place out back if you want me. Okay. You know where Mr. Shields is? He's out in the veranda. Alone? Yeah. Thanks, Jumbo. If I need anything, I'll call you. Good night. Shields. Oh, oh it's you, Marlowe. What's wrong? You sound like a man expecting trouble. <laughs>
7: I was nearly killed in my car this afternoon, and I don't think that was the end of it.
2: Yeah, and don't stand too close to high windows. Thank you.
7: It's comforting to know that I am not alone in my suspicions.
2: Maybe, uh, how are you betting? On the beauty or the beast?
7: Don't be absurd. I hope someday to marry Barbara.
2: Yeah? Well, a guy might be beating your time right now with a sculptor's mallet.
7: You may be naive, Mr. Marlowe, but Barbara isn't. I saw them just a moment ago walking down to the boathouse. Harlan's galloping after her like a half-baked idiot, as usual. But if Miss Haynes prefers me, what can he do about it?
2: There was an answer for that, but it seemed a little obvious under the circumstances. A few minutes later, Shields went inside, and I made a beeline for the boathouse to water down a certain hot-headed sculptor named Harlan. When I got within earshot, I knew I'd be as welcome as cough at a glassblower's convention. So I stopped and listened.
8: Barbara, darling, I'm falling in love with you. You know that, don't you? Let me hold you close.
6: Harlan, I. Oh, Harlan. This
8: is real, Barbara. For the first time in my life, I'm truly in love. I want to do things for you, make you happy.
6: Please wait. I'm not completely free. There are still ties with Edward, you know.
8: Shield. That fat, stingy Babbitt. He's no man for you. Why, if he so much as touches you from now on up.
2: Marlowe, you cheap-snooping eavesdropper... Eavesdropping is a minor vice compared to some of the shenanigans going on around here. What do you mean by that? A word to the wise is sufficient. You, I'll give a few more. Now, somebody's trying to cut our little triangle down to two sides before noon tomorrow. What I've seen so far I don't like, so I'm warning everybody. Just what are you accusing
8: yeah, me of?
6: Harlan, stop it. Don't be a fool. You cavemen control yourselves until those bonds are found. Come on, Harlan, let's go in. Good night, Marlowe. Don't get your head caught in any transom.
2: Deciding sleep wouldn't be very healthy for a man in my position, I decided to sit up that night. It was about 2 o'clock when I looked out the window and saw something mighty interesting. A light was moving on the other island opposite us. I got hold of Jim and we went over there as fast as we could.
7: Yeah, we're beach. That light's dead ahead, Mr. Marlowe. Looks to me
2: like it's up in the picnic shelter. Yeah, I'll see you later, Jumbo.
6: Who's there?
2: Guess who? Oh,
6: Marlowe. I didn't hear you come up. Wind's too strong, I guess. I'm glad to see you. Spooky here all alone.
2: Oh, sure, sure. What's the idea? Decide to do a little
6: freelance prospecting? Yeah, that's right. Bernice, may you love this spot. And I had a hunch she hid the bonds here in the base of this table. Oh, I guess I was wrong. Oh, come on, Marla, limber up. You can't blame me for trying.
2: Listen, beautiful, don't flap your eyelashes at me. I can't see anything but double crosses right now. All right, if you've had your fun, let's go back to the lodge. Don't be
6: that way, Phil. Phil, the sun will be coming up in two or three hours. Why not wait for it here with me? Barbara,
2: baby, don't burn up too many calories with that routine. Because I only keep one third of the map on me.
6: You think you're so smart.
2: Right ideas hatch in that cute little brain of yours, too. Now let's Oh, Comes the gun with a pearl handle, no less.
6: Stay away from me, Marlowe. Over there. Hey, what's going on? Here ready. Jumbo! Look out, Jumbo! When
2: Jumbo stepped into the light and Barbara turned. I made a swipe at her gun hand that knocked pistol person lamp all over the picnic shoulder. I found the gun and gave it to Jumbo. Then I started to pick up an assortment of knickknacks that had spilled out of a purse. But I never finished, because one of the items made my eyes pop. It was the monogrammed handkerchief covered with brake fluid that I'd found in Holland's room. It all made sense now. It tied up everything that I'd suspected right along. Only two of my trio had planned to split up the $300,000 worth of bonds from the first. As I ran for the motor launch, I yelled at Jumbo to bring Barbara over in the rowboat. All the way back, I had the panicky feeling that I was probably too late. But when I sneaked in the front door of the lodge, there were still two voices, and they came from the open kitchen door. my hand on my gun, I edged along the wall and peeked
7: in. Seals, you're a fool. Perhaps. But I'm going to kill you and have a perfect case of self defense. What are you talking about? You're hopelessly framed, cousin Harlan. I ruined the brakes on my own car. I planted your handkerchief, stained with brake fluid, in your room. Marlowe found it. He's convinced that you tried to kill me. He's also convinced that he was brought into this whole thing by coincidence. He doesn't know that he was deliberately involved in our search for the bonds, just so he'd make a reputable witness. You're out of your mind. Not at all. I'm going to kill you and say it was
2: self defense. Marlowe will testify that you tried to kill me before. What Marlowe's going to do is blow your head off if you don't drop that gun, Shields. Marlowe. Yeah, Marlowe. Who knows he wasn't brought into this thing by coincidence, but has stuck around to see the fireworks and he almost saw them just now. Bill, no, what happened? Barbara! Couldn't you hold Marlowe on the other island? You shut, shut up, Shields! Barbara's little mistake was that she should have gotten rid of Harlan's handkerchief after she took it out of his room so he wouldn't see it.
8: Barbara, I don't understand. You you planned all this with Shields against me?
6: Well, I, I did in the beginning, Harlan, but I changed my mind when I fell in love with you. I, I let Marlowe find the handkerchief in my purse. I, I wanted him to stop, Edward. Oh, darling, don't you see? Come say...
2: on, Miss Bankhead, cut the dramatics. The show's over. Let's have it straight, huh?
6: All right. We might as well, if we're going to find those bonds before it's too late. Edward and I did plan it. We even hired the little man who tried to get the maps from you.
2: And when that didn't work, you planned to get rid of Holland and split the 300 grand.
6: So we failed, so what? We're right back where we started. A 100,000 apiece. Now let's go find those bonds. Not
2: so fast, beautiful. What happened to Holland just now was a little more serious than a hot foot. It was attempted murder. He can slap you two in the jug this minute if he wants to. But I'll leave it up to him. Okay, Holland, what do you say? It's your move. No. I've got a better idea.
8: Marlowe, one third of that map is mine. Give it to me.
2: Okay. There it is.
8: Harlan, what are you going to do?
6: Harlan, no. Don't burn it.
8: There. Now we all lose. Now none of us will get the bonds. That's probably how Aunt Bernice wanted it anyway. <laughs>
2: It was almost noon. I was standing on the veranda of the lodge, and a scrawny old crow was perched up on the roof. I saw Barbara and Shields quietly pull away in a boat with Jumbo, and I saw Holland lumbering off to the far end of the island to salt. And as I watched the three of them, I couldn't help thinking. A pig in a pinstripe suit, an ape with a red beard, and an alley cat in nylon. Keep laughing, Aunt Bernice. You were right. Greed, treachery, and rashness don't mix, even for 24 hours. And the 1% of the bonds I was to get? Well, that's my contribution to charity. Who knows? Maybe I can take it off my income tax.
3: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, stars Gerald Moore and is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Featured in tonight's story were Mary Shipp, Harley Bear, Don Diamond, Ted Von Elts, and Wilms Herbert. The special music was conceived and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure to be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says...
2: I got the crisp $50 bill in advance, I figured my client had a heart of gold. But after I was beat up, double-crossed, and shot at, I realized just how hard a heart of gold could be.
3: Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett, John Dixon Carr, three great names in the world of mystery and thrills. One down, two to go today on CBS. Now that you've heard Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe in action, CBS invites you to hear Dashiell Hammett's Sam Spade in action tonight, followed by John Dixon Carr's personally written radio series, Cabin B-13. Chandler, Hammett, Carr, today and every Sunday, over most of these CBS stations. It's a mystery if you miss them. Speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Jack Benny next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Jack Benny Show. The Grape
3: Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes program, starring Jack Benny. It's Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. and gentlemen, as you know, Mary Livingston has been off the show for three weeks because of laryngitis. So now that she is fully recovered, we take you to her house where we find Mary
5: and her maid Butterfly. Hey, Miss Livingston, you sure have pretty hair. Well, thank you, Butterfly. <laughs> Ouch! Be careful with the comb. You're pulling. Oh, excuse me. Hey, Miss Livingston, Was
12: your hair always this
4: color?
5: Of course. I never bleach my hair.
4: Neither do I.
5: (laughs) Well, I'm glad you told me. Now, Butterfly, uh, comb the ends into a roll. Yes, ma'am. You know what, Miss Livingston? What? I think your hair is even prettier than
4: Mr. (laughs) Benny. Oh,
5: Butterfly, you're just saying that. Anyway, you've never been close enough to Mr. Benny's hair to appreciate its beauty. Oh, yes, I have. Yesterday I was over to Mr. Benny's house. Oh. He wasn't home, so Uncle Rochester showed it to me. (laughs) Your Uncle Rochester has no right to open Mr. Benny's face. Now, Butterfly, will you get my blue dress out of the closet, please? Never mind. You answer the door. I'll get the desk myself. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to buy a paper doll that I can call my own, a doll that other fellows cannot steal. Hello, Butterfly. right in, Mr. Binney. May I take your hat?
11: Yes, thanks. Here's my coat. Yes,
5: sir. Shall I take your shawl, too? <laughs>
11: That's a muffler.
5: <laughs>
11: here. Now, Butterfly, will you tell Miss. Oh, here she is.
5: Hello, Jack.
11: Hello, Mary. See, you're looking swell, and your voice sounds okay, too.
5: Thanks. I feel fine now.
11: That's good. Say, hey, Mary, I brought you a box of candy. Over a hundred pieces in it.
5: <laughs> Here you are. Oh, thanks, Jack. Just the kind I like. senator
4: <laughs> <laughs>
11: Well, I'm glad you do. You know, it's it cost me extra to have it wrapped as a gift,
5: you know. Oh, Jack, you're so nice. I know. <laughs>
11: maybe I shouldn't have given it to you now. It'll make your Christmas present look like nothing.
5: Well, let's not worry about that now. Come on, we'll go into the living room.
11: All right. Is there a fire in the fireplace?
5: No, but we can build one. Okay. Gee, I haven't had a fire in here since I've been sick.
11: Well, there's nothing as homey as a fireplace with a cheery blaze. Here goes. First, a little paper... We throw on some kindling. And now now for a log. Hmm, There must be a smaller log around here
4: somewhere. (laughs) Let's
11: see. Let's see. Thanks, Mary. (laughs) Hey, look. Look, that log came from the tree that used to be in your backyard.
5: Yes, I know.
11: Gosh, Mary, look what it says on it. I love Jack Benny. Isn't that sweet?
5: Yeah, I remember the night you carved it there.
4: <laughs> yeah,
11: it it's so romantic. I'll never forget that night if I live to be 40.
4: <laughs> well,
5: I... <laughs> Jack, if you...
11: Don't answer that. <laughs> I know what you were.
5: I'll take it. Hello? Plainfield, New Jersey calling? Yes, I'll hold on. Oh, Jack, it must be Mama.
11: Oh, is she out on parole again?
5: (laughs) Jack, you ought to be ashamed of it. Hello? Oh, hello, Mama. Yes, I'm feeling fine now. That's right. I was off the program for three weeks. What? Oh, don't worry. Jack's going to pay me. (laughs) Hmm. He will pay me. Oh, Mama, he is not. Where'd you ever hear a word like that? (laughs) Hmm.
4: Uh,
5: That's what Papa calls you?
11: Mary, tell your mother. Quiet,
4: Jack.
5: Say, Mama, did you get the packages I sent? Good. But I don't want either you or Papa to open those presents for Christmas. What? Papa couldn't wait. He did. Well, Mama, call a doctor. That was shaving lotion. Oh.
11: Mary, what was that word your mother called me?
5: It starts with an L.
11: Oh,
5: yeah. Uh, say, Mama, tell me, what's happened at the home lately?
11: L. Could be liar, louse. <laughs> louse isn't so bad,
5: is it? What? What, Mama? Cousin Harry was made a sergeant? Oh, that's too bad. What's bad about it? Last week he was a lieutenant. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh. Uh,
5: yes, Mama, that was Jack's voice. L. L. Yes, he's sitting right here beside me. L. Mama, stop it. What's the matter? You can drop the L and start working on D.
11: <laughs>
5: mm. Say, Mama, what are you and Papa doing tonight?
11: D. Dope. not
5: Oh, well, you expect company? So you're making a fire in the living room?
11: Dumbbell,
5: fast, <laughs> But, Mama, you haven't got a fireplace in the living room. Oh, there's a hole in the rug, and you wanted to cover it up with something. <laughs>
11: Mary, hang up will you? Well,
5: Mama, I think I better... Uh, just a second, Operator. Mama, give my love to... Oh, darn it, we were cut off. Oh, Operator, Operator, why did you... I don't care if my mother does drive you nuts. It's none of your business.
11: See, Mary, you see, I'm not the only one that's allergic to your mother.
5: Oh, Jack, Mama's only kidding. She doesn't mean half the things she says. She
11: does, too. I never saw a woman like that. She's always hounding me. She
5: doesn't hound you. Well, she's
11: got the face for it. And let me tell you another thing your mother takes delight in uh, aggravating me. Every time she calls me up, she pants me. And I never say anything about her. <laughs> Mary, I'm sorry.
5: Well, you ought to be. Every time we talk about my mother, we get into an argument. You're right,
11: Mary. We shouldn't argue.
5: Let's kiss and make up. Okay.
11: How is that? Let's argue.
4: <laughs>
5: oh,
11: yeah? That was all right, and you know it. Now straighten your lipstick.
5: Oh, you and your wet lips. Every time you kiss me, you skid. <laughs>
11: What do you want me to do, have him (laughs) retreaded? I skid. You can't say one nice thing to someone at the door. That's
5: all right. Butterfly will get us.
11: You can't say one thing without trying to be funny.
5: Oh, Jack, you take everything so seriously. Where's your sense of humor?
11: Sense of humor? Listen, Mary, you have no regard for my feelings. And in the first place... Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Dennis. In the first place, I only came here to visit... Hello,
5: Miss Livingston. Hello, Dennis.
11: I only came here to cheer you up because you've been ill.
5: Well, this is a fine way to do it. Just because I pull a gag on you once in a while, you hit the ceiling. I hit the ceiling. What's going on
11: here? Look, Mary, when you had laryngitis, I was a constant visitor. I'm the best friend you ever had.
10: Do you mind if I sit down?
11: (laughs) No, no, go ahead.
5: No, sit down, Dennis.
11: You know, Mary, I even brought you a box of candy, and what thanks do I get?
5: What do you expect for a box of cents, and a kiss for every piece?
11: No, Mary, but the least you can do is show your appreciation.
10: Oh, you're having an argument.
11: <laughs> Dennis, why don't you please be quiet?
10: Gee, everywhere I go, there's an argument.
5: Oh, where have you been, Dennis?
10: Home. <laughs> and Mary, as far as I'm concerned. At my house, it's louder. Dennis. You ought to be breaking it up by now. The argument? No, the house.
11: Dennis, we're not having a fight. It was just a little misunderstanding, that's all. Now, Mary, let's not argue in front of the kid.
5: You're right, Jack, and especially about such a silly thing. I'm a dope.
11: Well, I'm a dope, too.
5: You want to know something?
11: What?
10: It's nothing to be ashamed of.
4: <laughs>
10: well, you should know. Thanks. Well, I guess I'll run along now.
11: Wait a minute, Dennis. What did you come over here for?
10: Oh, I forgot. I came over to visit Miss Livingston.
5: You did? Well, sit down and stay a while. Okay. Well, guess I'll run along now.
11: (laughs) Dennis, you just got here. What's that package under your arm?
10: Oh, I made a record of a song and I wanted Miss Livingston to hear it.
5: Well, that's fine. We'll play it later. Oh, Butterfly, I see who's at the door. Yes, Miss Livingston?
11: Oh, it must be Rochester. There's my new car out in front.
5: That yellow one? Why, it looks like a taxi cab.
11: Well, it was, Mary, but it's the only thing I could get. Anyway, I converted it strictly to private use. Oh. If it weren't for the color, no one would know it used to be a taxi. Oh, hello, Rochester.
12: Hello, boss. You better hurry. The meter's
11: running. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
11: well, turn it off, silly. It's only us. <laughs>
5: Why, Jack, if you're using that taxi for your own private use, why do you have a meter on it? He never knows when he's
12: going to give a friend a
4: lift.
5: <laughs> well, Rochester, it pays to be nice. It
12: pays him.
11: <laughs> oh, that's not the reason at all. Anyway, Mary, it's not a bad car, is it?
5: It looks all
10: right. It rides smoothly, too.
4: Yes, sir. Did
10: you ride in a Dennis? 30 cents worth.
4: <laughs> Dennis.
10: That's my raise. Five dollars worth of free rides a week.
11: Listen, kid, I give you those rides because. (laughs) I guess I give you those rides because I like you. I'm not in business with that taxi. I don't haul people around. Oh, boss, come (laughs) now. Rochester, I told you I only give my friends a lift home.
5: (laughs) What's so funny, Rochester?
11: All of his friends have trunks and live at the Union Station.
4: <laughs>
11: Rochester, stop making things up. You better hurry or we'll be, we'll, we'll be late for the super team. <laughs> I mean, stop mixing me up. I know what you mean, boss, but we've got to go Christmas shopping. Oh, that's right. Let's get going. I want to do my shopping while the stores are still loaded with stuff. So let's...
5: Oh, Butterfly. Butterfly, there's someone at the door. Butterfly, where are you? Oh, well, I'll answer it myself. <coughs> well, of all people... I locked myself out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, come
5: in, butterfly, and get Mr. Benny things. He's leaving. Oh, so long, Mary. Goodbye, Miss Livingston. Goodbye. I'm gonna buy a paper doll that I can call my own, a doll that I... Oh, Dennis, I forgot you were still here. Yeah, I just put my record on the phonograph. Would you like to hear it, Miss Livingston? Sure, I would. Go ahead and play it. Okay.
10: Say, Miss Livingston, would you like to... Oh, well. What, Dennis? Never mind. Let's sit this
5: one out. (laughs) Yes, I'd rather just listen to it.
12: today God. The curtain descends, everything ends too
11: turn the corner so fast.
8: Don't worry, boss, these taxi cabs can really take
11: it. Rochester, I have told you a thousand times This is my own private car now. It's not a taxi. Anyway, I'm going to have the color change. It's going to be ridiculous. Rochester, you're coming to a red light. Watch it. I see it, boss. Hey, bud, mind if I share this cab with you? I'm sorry, mister, but this ain't no... Driver, no one's asking you. <laughs>
4: uh,
11: certainly, uh, certainly, mister. Hop right in. Okay. Maple Avenue, driver. Uh, nice, uh, nice day, isn't it? Yeah. How far you going, buddy? Oh, I'm going much further than Maple Avenue. So you pay me, and I'll pay the driver. That'll save
4: time.
11: I wish he'd step on it. I'm in a hurry to get home. You are? Yeah. I don't want to miss the Fred Allen program. What?
12: <laughs>
4: there.
11: Gosh, boss, how could you reach the brake from the back seat?
4: <laughs>
11: Never mind. This is where you get out, Mister. Why? What happened? What did I say? Get out. Get out. You can't put me out of this cab. Hey, driver. I'm sorry,
10: mister, but you'll have to get out. Oh, I do, hey? Well, my name is Brown, and I'm going to report you to the
12: president of this company. Mr. Brown, you may not know it, but you were thrown out by the president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and star of stage screen, and (laughs) taxidermist.
11: That's telling them, Rochester. Let's go. See, it sure is crowded in this store. I wish I'd have done my Christmas shopping early, like I did last year. You going to buy any gifts in here, Rochester?
12: No, I already did
8: my shopping.
11: You did where? At
8: Sixth Central Avenue. <laughs>
11: Now well, let's see. I want to get something for my girl, Gladys the Bisco. But I don't know what. Why don't you ask the floor
4: walkers?
3: Yeah.
11: Oh, mister. Uh, mister, are you the floor walker? If I'm asked that question again, I'm going to smash somebody right over the head.
4: LAUGHTER <laughs>
11: What are you mad about? I just asked you if you were the floor walker. You see this carnation in my lapel? Yes. Oh, what do you think I am, a long stem? (laughs) Oh, then, uh, then you, you are the floor walker. Of course. I'm not rugged enough to be a customer. (laughs) Now, what can I do for you? Well, I'm interested in something for my girlfriend, uh... What uh, what would you suggest? Well, what does your girl look like? Well, she's kind of thin and scrawny, and her hair's sort of stringy. But she really has a nice personality. She has a little turned-up nose. And she has two ears, and they. Uh, well, everybody's got two ears.
12: On the same side. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Rochester!
11: That's the way she combs her hair. It's a large bun.
4: <laughs>
11: well, I don't know what to suggest. Why don't you try our harness shop? <laughs> oh, don't be so smart. Come on, Rochester. I'll find things myself. Let's go over to this counter here. Pardon me, miss. Is this the perfume department?
5: You this is the cold cream counter. Can I smear something on you? <laughs>
11: no, no, thanks. I'm not interested in cold cream.
5: You know, we're sure to help. So they split my week between cold cream and hot water bottles. Oh. Uh, three days a week, I'm greasy, and the other three, I'm overheated. <laughs>
11: well, I, I feel sorry for you.
5: You know, for 20 years, I was behind the perfume counter. Nothing but price him for 20 years. Price him, price
11: him, price him. Well, that's too bad, Miss, uh, Miss, uh... Just
4: call me Stinky. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Miss,
11: I have to buy something for, uh... Hey, boss, look. Here comes Mr. Harris. Where? Oh, yeah. Hello, Phil. you, Jackson. Hello, Chester. Hello,
12: Mr. Harris.
11: Doing a little shopping, Phil? No, I came out here to see Don Wilson. Don Wilson? Yeah, he's playing Santa Claus here this year. No kidding. Well, how did he get the job? It wasn't easy. He had to take off 20 pounds.
4: <laughs>
11: See, can you imagine Don being Santa Claus and talking to all the little kids, telling them about... Hey, wait a minute. Have I got a wonderful idea. What is it, Jackson? Let's pull a gag on Wilson. Now, Phil, you go over to the boys' department and get dressed up like a little kid. Yeah. And I'll go down to the women's ready-to-wear and dress up like a woman. I'll be your mother. Okay. And I'll be the mean widow kid. (laughs) Boy, will will we pull down? Rochester, wait for me out in the car. And Phil, I'll meet you in front of the toy department. Okay. (laughs) Gee, I wish Jackson would hurry up. i feel like a dope standing here dressed up like a little kid. Oh, boy, look what Jackson's missing. Hiya, babe. Shut up, it's me. (laughs) Now, come on, let's fool down. Come on, we're going to fool with you. Remember, I'm your mother. Now, gather round, children, gather round, and I want to talk to each one of you in turn. Now, uh, let me see. Who's next? Uh, My little son is Santa Claus. My uh... little son is Santa Claus.
4: (laughs)
3: All right, madam. Now, where is your little boy?
11: Now, where is he? Oh, Clearwater.
12: (laughs) Clearwater. Clearwater, water! Doody-doody, Santa Claus! Doody-doody, Santa Here I is, Mommy! <laughs> Isn't he a darling? Yes, he's a cute little rascal. Now,
11: Clearwater, tell Santa Claus what you want for Christmas. Go ahead, don't be mad. No, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. Now,
4: Clearwater, trap Saddle. Tell Saddle
11: what you want. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Clearwater, take your foot out of your mouth. There. Now the other one. <laughs>
3: That's better. Now, little boy, tell Santa what you want for Christmas.
11: I want some great nuts flakes. Grape <laughs> nuts flakes? Yes, my mommy and my dad would. He tells me that they're toasty brown and
10: they're sweet as a nut.
4: <laughs>
11: That's right, my
3: smart little man. And they're a whole grain cereal.
5: You're absolutely right, Santa. Oh, how cute. Look at that nice little boy sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Such pretty goes and curls his guy. Yes, yeah, that, that little boy happens to be mine.
4: I'm not talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
11: Now tell me, Sonny, wouldn't you like to have a bicycle? No, I want a drink, not a because they're delicious, nutritious, and not rationed. Uh,
4: that's
11: right, and what else? Well, there are basic seven foods, the kind of food my dad would. He wants me to eat more of.
3: Well, 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 you certainly are a good little boy. You should be proud of him, Mrs. Clapsaddle.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I am. Not Clearwater. Clearwater.
11: Say
12: goodbye to Santa Claus.
11: Goodbye, Santa (laughs) Claus. Goodbye,
12: Santa Claus. Goodbye, Phil. So long, Jack.
11: (laughs) Oh, darn it, he knew it. He knew it all the time. What are we gonna do now, mommy deal? Oh, shut up, you little jerk. (laughs) Come on, let's get out of here. Well, folks, that finishes uh, another program, and we'll be back with you next Sunday night at the same time. Meanwhile, my cast and I want to send Christmas greetings to all of you, to all of you here at home and to all of our boys and girls in the service, here and abroad. Good
0: night, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's suspense, followed by our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly
0: produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.